coming up this week on the Six Ps podcast, we look at our two comparative texts, the Year of Wonders and the Crucible. We'll look at some of the background information and context, as well as the setting. That's coming up on the Six Ps podcast right now. morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night to whoever might be listening to this podcast. Uh, this is episode G. Uh, we've come a long way since episode A. Just thought I'd give a little shout out to everyone who's been listening. Thank you for doing so. It's great to have heard your feedback. It's also interesting to note that what was meant to be a little podcast for 20 or so students has turned into something a lot bigger than I thought. Been getting a lot of correspondence from Lots of students around Melbourne, which is great to hear. Um, hopefully your VC studies are going really well this year. You're staying focused. You've got past the gut in Unit 3 and you're well on your way now to Unit 4. Um, and I wish you all the best. If you would like to get in touch, as I always say, please do send me an email. It is 6pspodcast at gmail.com, 6pspodcast at gmail.com. And I'm happy to respond to any questions, queries that you might have. We are coming up to a really important part of the year now with the comparative unit. And it's the longest unit. It's the most time we spend on any unit. And it makes sense because um, firstly, the sack is worth 60 marks of the 100 marks. Uh, it's obviously worth a third of your exam. And you're doing two texts in one. Now, what I normally do with my classes is go through one text. And then when we get to the second text, Always refer back to that first text. Um, personally, though, I think it's great if students have definitely read both texts to start with so that in class you can start making those connections as early as possible. Um, and again, quite often um, what I suggest students do is um, think about their own interpretations, think about their own examples to use. There are a lot of examples that are used a lot, um, and I will touch on many of those throughout the next couple of weeks and we'll be spending a fair bit of time on this podcast looking at the Year of Wonders and the Crucible. Um, looking at those really, I guess, significant key, um, sometimes overused examples, but pushing you to think about your own um, interpretation and analysis of the text. Today, we're looking at, the, I guess, the social, historical and cultural context of both the texts. And I'm going to go into a lot of detail with the Year of Wonders, and less as less detail, I guess, with the Crucible. But the context is really important. It is, again, an aspect of both texts that you can compare. Um, and for me, I guess the place I'll start, I guess, is the fact that the Year of Wonders is set in the town of Eam. It's a small rural town. It's an agricultural or agrarian town, a very heavy mining and farming town, um, which is still around these days it does exist and again the year of wonders is a historical fiction text so um, some aspects of this text are true in fact the plague did hit the town in 1665 to 1666 and um, there also i guess the town of Eam does exist so it's about three hours or so north of london um london's one definitely one of my favorite towns in the world so um 
You can hop a train tra- train one day if you'd like to um, for three hours, go to Eam. It is sort of in, in the middle of nowhere, really. It's not really close to a town. Probably Sheffield is the closest town I, I think it's near. Um, but still today, it's, it's kept a lot of um, the buildings. And in fact, there is a plague stone that you can go and visit there. But Eam is a very, very small town. And obviously with this text, it is in the first person. This text it is written in the first person. The only text we do anyway at our school um, that's in the first person. And it's from Anna Frith's perspective. She's our protagonist. We see the world through her eyes. Um, and obviously the town of Eam um, is, or faces a really significant crisis in the plague. And just like in real life they did 350 years ago same is in the text they quarantine themselves off from the rest of england which is a really bold move um they felt it was the right one to do um the benefit from that is other people from other towns would help them and provide them with the resources they needed to in exchange for not spreading the plague but there's a really great quote um, to describe life in Eam, and it comes up in the first chapter on page 11. And it's Anna describing the town. Um, and she says that, and again, this is on page 11, we live all aslant here, on this steep flank of the great white peak. We are always tilting forward to toil uphill, or bracing backwards on our heels to slow a swift descent. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to live in a place where the land did not angle so, and people could walk upright with their eyes on a straight horizon. Even the main street of our town has a camber to it, so that the people on the uphill side stand higher than those on the downhill. And this idea that um, the town is a really difficult place to live, the fact that they always are either walking uphill or downhill, the fact that the higher class, the upper class individuals live above the lower class people as well suggest a little bit about the town too. Um, and I think it's as we go through this text, you'll see the role the town plays in um, turning on one another as well, um, especially when it comes to the Gaudis. Another, I guess, important historical part of this text is the fact that it is based around the plague outbreak in 1665 and 1666. And the plague... Um, or this um, outbreak of the plague started in London. It killed about 100,000 people. Um, and obviously in the play, it's George Vickers, none of the play in the text, sorry. It's George Vickers that um, brings a plague to Eam from London. And Brooks is very vivid in her description of the plague. And I guess um, when Anna looks at George Vickers, she describes it in really... Um, gruesome detail just to show the pain and suffering that's involved and i've got a couple of quotes it's from anna she says george vickers lay with his head pushed to the side by a lump the size of a newborn piglet a great shiny yellow purple knob of pulsing flesh his face half turned away from me because of the accessories was flushed scarlet or rather blotched with shapes like rings of rose petals blooming under his skin. His blonde hair was a dark, wet mess upon his head, and his pillow was drenched with sweat. There was a sweet, pungent smell in the garret, a smell like rotten apples. And again, that symbol of apples comes up a lot. And it's interesting to note that 
before George Vickers dies, his final quote in the texts is, burn it all, burn it all, for the love of God, burn it, and referred to the clothes that he had made. Um, and it's really important, I guess, in fact, that those clothes Anna ends up giving out um, to the villagers, which causes a plague then to spread. But it's really interesting to look at some of those um, references to the plague and even that, I guess, that um, that simile to that newborn piglet is really important. Another really important aspect of the text is religion and the role that religion plays and once again, going back to the town of Eam, a really great quote to describe the role of religion comes in page 11, where Anna says, Our village is a thin thread of dwellings, unspooling east and west of the church. The idea that religion plays a really central role in this town there, the fact that you have um, the church in the middle of the town and people living around it. The main connection, I think, with the Year of Wonders and the Crucible is a role of the Puritans. So Puritans are a really strict conservative branch of Christianity. They were, in fact, driven out of England um, not long after this, and they set up um, many different um, communities in America. One of them was Salem, which is the setting of uh, the Crucible. And there's some great quotes um, from the Year of Wonders that describe, um, I guess, Puritanism. And I guess the first one for me comes up in page 55, and it's Anna, and she says, Dark and light, dark and light, dark and light. That was how I had been taught to view the world. The Puritans who had ministered to us here had held that all actions and thoughts could be only one of two natures, godly and right, satanic and evil. And the idea of the devil plays a really important role in both texts because both crises come from that fear of the devil. In fact, it's Thomas Stanley who's the Puritan minister before Michael Montpellion comes in. Um, and he, or Annas quotes this in page 38, she says, Mr. Stanley believed that sickness was sent by God to test and chastise those souls he would save. And the idea that it's God and the devil that... Um, uh, to blame for these crises that the communities face. Another aspect is the class system. Anna obviously is on from a lower class background. Um, she's also a woman, and we'll get to the role of women a little bit later on. But in that class system, that quote from page four, when Anna is dealing with Michael Montpellion, who is um, grieving the loss of his wife, and she says, quote, on page four, a servant has no right to stay once she's dismissed. But I did stay, plumping the cushion and placing a shawl. He won't let me lay a fire. The idea that the class system is, I guess, turned on its head by the plague and by the grief felt by the town. Anna does stay. She's not meant to, but she does stay. And that's juxtaposed, I guess, on page 116 when the Bradfords, who are the really wealthy family in the village, flee for their own personal safety. And Anna says on page 116, quote, There was no hissing in the street as the Bradford's carriage passed out of the village on its way to the Oxford Road. Men doffed their caps and women curtsied, just as we had always done, simply because that was what we had always done. The idea that the class system is deeply entrenched within EM um, is, I guess, highlighted there. 
with that quotation with the Bradfords who, yeah, they do leave. They're very, very selfish in the fact that they leave. And obviously Elizabeth Bradford returns. Um, I won't give away any spoilers, though. The last thing I just wanted to touch on was the role of women. Um, this is a text from a female perspective, and the text is all about Anna and her growth. Um, she does become a stronger uh, individual. She gains more power, more authority, and more confidence within herself. And that quote that I say to students to never, never, ever, ever forget is from Anna herself. And the reason why I say never forget this quote is because this shows the change in Anna. It's from page 15. And it suggests that um, one of them was the timid girls. This is Anna talking about herself. One of them, sorry, I'll start that again. It was as if there were two of me walking down those stairs. One of them was the timid girl who had worked for the Bradfords in a state of dread, fearing their hard looks and harsh words. The other was Anna Frith a woman who had faced more terrors than many warriors. And that's the quote I always get students to remember, that Anna goes from a timid girl to a woman who had faced more terrors than many warriors. A really great quote to show her strength and her growth in the text. Another really important female, or two really important female characters are the Gaudis, and there's a great quote about Mem Gaudi on page 58, which says, Mem Gaudi was the cunning woman to whom all looked for remedies and poultices and help with confinements. It had been a cruel year of scant harvest and many women, women miscarried. When one strange pair of twins was stillborn, fused together at the breastbone, many had begun muttering of devilment, and their eyes turned to Widow Gowdy, clamouring upon her as a witch. And the idea that women did look on her with, quote, some envy... Um, is really important and we can see that that comes up in um, the Silent of the Witch chapter when the women turn on both the Gaudis. Another great quote from page 55. Um, and again, it was a great quote as Anna views Anise and she says, I saw them that afternoon, she's talking about the women of the village, I saw them that afternoon through Anise's or Anise's eyes, shackled to their menfolk as surely as the plough horse to the shares. The idea that women relied heavily on their husbands and that great simile that compares married women to plough horses um, is a really significant one, I think. And it's the Gaudis who, I guess, open up Anna's eyes as well as Eleanor, but the, they open up Anna's eyes to the world. That's a bit about the context information from the Year of Wonders. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, episode G today, we're looking at the goat. We're going to do a bit of older Kanye West stuff today. We'll be back after this break with a little bit of information on the Crucible. Oh, it all, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this the real one, baby. I'm telling oh. you, oh, 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 Southside, oh, Southside. We gon' set this party off right. West side, West side. We gon' set this party off right. Man, I promise. She's so self-conscious. She has no idea what she's doing in college. That major that she majored and don't make no money. But she won't drop out her parents to look at her funny. Now, tell me that ain't insecure. The concept of school seems so secure. Sophomore three years ain't picked a career. She like, fuck it, I'll just stay down her and do it. Cause that's enough money to buy her a few pairs of new ears. Cause her baby daddy don't really care. She's so 
so precious with the peer pressure. Couldn't afford a car, so she named her daughter Alexis. Yeah, been so long that it looked like weave. Then she cut it all off, now she looked like Eve. And she be dealing with some issues that you can't believe. Single black female addicted to retail as well. Uh. And when it falls down, who you gonna call now? Come on, come on. And when it all falls down, man, I promise. I'm so self-conscious. That's why you always see me with at least one of my watches. Rollies and poshes that drove me crazy. I can't even pronounce nothing. Pass that for safety. Welcome back to the 6Ps podcast, where today we're looking at some of the background information to our comparative texts, which are Geraldine Brooks's The Year of Wonders and Arthur Miller's The Crucible. And I'm just going to touch briefly now on The Crucible. I'll go into a bit more detail at a later episode, but just thought I'd give you a brief rundown of what The Crucible is about. It is, again, a historical fictional play. It was written in the 1950s at the height of anti communist sentiments in America. This was at the height of the Cold War, which was an ideological war between America and the Soviet Union, this idea about democracy against communism. And there were really um, there was a real fear of communism here. And it's compared to the fear of witchcraft and the fear of the devil in the Crucible. And in fact, Arthur Miller wrote the Crucible as a result of his conflict with the American government where he was questioned um, about his ideals and beliefs um, at HUAC. In terms of the play itself, it is based on the Salem Witch Trials, which did actually happen. A number of people were killed, or hanged, I should say, um, in 1692 in the town of Salem in Massachusetts, which is on the east coast of America. This was a Puritan town, much like in the Year of Wonders, which was, Ian was a Puritan town, uh, Salem is a Puritan town in the Crucible. Just to get that feel for it as well, the idea, and this is a quote from page 14, Salem had been established hardly 40 years before. To the European world, the whole province was a barbaric frontier inhabited by a sect of fanatics. This idea that Salem and the activities within Salem were very unusual. In the first four pages of the text, Arthur Miller gives, provides his commentary on the setting, and I cannot stress the importance of reading his commentary throughout the play. A lot of students sort of skim past it, um, assuming that it's not really important, but it actually is. Um, and I think that a lot of the high-range responses that I've read in the past couple of years have actually used that commentary and analysed it um, to great effect. And I think it's really important that when you do read The Crucible, you definitely read the background information. It might again, mean that you have to do some extra research for vocab for past events, but it's really, really important to get to know the text. The idea as well that the town of Salem um, didn't really respect children, that quote, on again, it's on page 14, and it says, Salem never conceived that children were anything but thankful for being permitted to walk straight, eyes slightly lowered, arms at their sides, and mouths shut until bidden to speak. And that's obviously ironic, and the play is full of irony, I should say. The fact that children have absolutely no power, yet as we see the play um, develop, we see that the children, in fact, have all the power and start off um, the events that lead to death and destruction. The idea for me as well in 
the year and sorry the crucible is the fact that the crisis facing the town of salem is the salem which trials the fear of the devil um and the other aspect to it as well is the role of women that links in again quite closely to the year of wonders we see anna frith grow into a really strong confident woman and abigail williams does so similar but i guess their purpose behind doing both those things is very very different abigail does it for her own personal gain whereas anna does it more so um, to help others Uh, i'm not going to go into much more detail than that about the crucible as i said i'll go into it a bit more detail at a later episode but um, I do encourage all of you to read the Crucible over the break because the sooner you can start comparing the texts, the better. We'll go to one last song for today. We'll be back soon to wrap up. All of the lights.
Are we finished? Done. <laughs>